I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 109, I talked to Shannon Van Zee. I had coffee with Shannon while on my coast-to-coast for climb cross-country motorcycle ride. He and his wife, Janella, live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They planted a church on their own, and from two disciples, it's grown to a group of 20. Shannon shares about how he fought off leukemia, what motivated him to start a church in Sioux Falls with only his wife and daughter. He shares about the highs and the lows of self-supporting ministry and what it takes to plant a church while working full-time in a more remote area. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm thrilled today to have Shannon Van Zee on the program. Shannon is a self-supporting minister in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and recently on my motorcycle ride cross-country, I had coffee with Shannon and talked to him about his work in starting a church there in Sioux Falls and the good good things that have been happening since he started that. And so I look forward to digging into it with him. There's certainly a brotherhood there after I planted a church in Ashland, Oregon, self-supporting, and it's just a, an amazing labor of love. And so, Shannon, welcome to the program. Great to talk to you today. Thanks, Rob, for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Can you share how you, how'd you become a Christian? Yeah, you know, becoming a Christian, this goes back a few years, it goes back to 1998. I was in Kansas City, and I was finishing up my postgraduate physical therapy schooling. And I was at a point in my life where having a background of going to church and going through all the, the, the things that religious um, kids do, I realized that at some point I need to get right with God. But as I went through my academic life and was searching for, you know, happiness and contentment through academics, through other avenues, I really felt emptier and emptier. And so it was at that point uh, in 98 that I met a disciple and she invited me to church. And luckily enough, I was actually searching for a church, but had no idea where to start. And it was in Kansas City that I met our church. It was the, the Kansas City Church of Christ. And what I so appreciate about that time was they not only helped make the scriptures more clear to me because I'd been around them, but never had that really put together in a solid, clear format, but they really called me to, to live what I read. And for me to see these guys that I was studying the Bible with actually doing it as well, especially since we were all young, I was 23 years old, to see young men wanting to literally follow the words of the Bible and do that and say in a humble way, let's do our best to, to fully commit to Jesus. It was inspiring, challenging, and, and life-changing. And so it was what I was looking for, even though I didn't realize the depth that this would go, it was it was life-changing. And uh, it really turned my world upside down and my, my paradigm 
of what I thought was going to be my life's goal, instead of being a professional in the world of physical therapy, became be the best possible Christian I can be. So that was back in 1998. Okay, so where'd you go from there? So being in Kansas City, I worked as a physical therapist around that area for about a year and a half. And then at that point, I moved out to Los Angeles to be part of the church out there. So I went from a church of about give or take 300 to a church of give or take nine to 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, but of course the church out there was partialed out into various regions. I was out in living in uh, Maria Del Rey with some single brothers in the church. And uh, after a few months, I got called to be in the ministry, but I went in as an intern part-time. So I worked half a day doing physical therapy and half a day uh, as an intern in the church working with our singles ministry. And I, so I was out there at, at that point where I met my now wife, she was in a, another uh, group of singles out there. And from there, long story short, we ended up moving to St. Louis, Missouri and started leading the campus and team ministry. And we did that all the way through till about 2006. And it was at that point that we got out of the ministry, worked a regular year in our regular professional jobs. And then we moved to El Paso, Texas. And we're part of the church there for roughly six years again. And then from that journey, long story short, we moved to the Omaha, Nebraska area and were with the church there for about four years. And then we then moved to where we're at now for the last over four years here in Sioux Falls with this church here. Okay. So like, how'd you run into to your wife, Janella? Yeah. So funny enough, they had a singles events in the church like we do have. And so of course I want, I go to everything that we can have because I just love it, but it was a karaoke night. So the singles karaoke night. I can't stand karaoke. I don't have a great voice. <laughs> karaoke gives me no interest. But I was like, hey man, I want to go because I just want to be with my fellow brothers and sisters. Anyway, a sister from the Kansas City church that had moved out there before me was introducing me to people and she introduced me to Janella that night. And so I immediately had a spark of interest. And so I wanted to get to, to know her more. And we, you know, we got to know each other a little bit that evening. And then through a few other events, you know, we got to know each other better started out going on a few dates and then uh, I was able to finally woo her a few months later and uh, to date and we got engaged actually out there and then we got married so within a period of knowing her engagement and getting married was just a little over one year wow wow yeah that's like my situation I I met Pam in June of I think 99 mm. No, 89, sorry. Oh, boy. And then we got married in 90. It's just a little over a year. Just boom. When you, when you know it's the right person, it's just the right person. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't any doubt in my mind. Like after after we went, once I asked her to go steady, I go, okay. I know you don't use the word going steady. But once we dated, started dating steadily, I just knew we're getting married. You know, I was, <laughs> I was a little older. I was 24 at the time. I'm like, she's the one. No doubt about it. Anyway. You had a cancer scare. Can you can you can you tell me about that? What happened? Yeah. So when after we got married, so this would have been uh, in two thousand, December of two thousand, we got married. And four months later, when we were in St. Louis, uh, leading in the church there, the teen and campus ministry, 
is when I got diagnosed with uh, leukemia, a uh, very rare, fast-acting form of leukemia. And it really kind of hit me uh, broadside because I was very healthy, try to exercise, do all the right things. I had zero family history of any form of cancer on either my mother or father's side. And so I got diagnosed there in St. Louis. And so I got out of the ministry and basically was just trying to survive my life. I went through heavy chemotherapy, heavy radiation, and it was one of the hardest times of my life, as you can imagine, but also one of the most important. And I say that because I was feeling like I was living like month to month, instead of paycheck to paycheck, it was like month to month, not knowing if I could make it one more month, because if I relapsed, who knows if I would make it. So it really called me to connect with the idea of dying and connecting with the idea of, you know, meeting Jesus uh, and going through that process a lot quicker than I would like. And also they showed me just the depth of my wife's uh, love, unconditional love. She stayed with me through all that. And lastly, it really helped to have some brothers in my life in the church that could come over, you know, as able. We were masking back then as well. That could just really be there and just give me that perspective, that, that perspective of God being in the middle of this, what I really needed. Because those were dark days there for a while. When I saw you and in, in, we saw each other at the Look Up Conference in 2019, you are a super fit guy. I mean, you're in great shape, great physical shape. That must have been such a shocker. I mean, just a yeah. kind of a how how long were how long were you into your marriage at that point? So we've been married four months. Oh my that gosh! Like, and, did, did you yeah. ever have the thought like my wife's going to leave me here because I'm so sick? I never thought that. So you know, I think her being a disciple, myself being a disciple, we both felt you know God's first, then the marriage is second, and I knew that about her going into even getting married. And so I never doubted that at all. I think the only thing that was uh, challenging was the idea that she could possibly lose a husband after only being married for four months. That was probably the hardest part for me when it came to our relationship. So did you have to have like a bone marrow transplant? No, they actually checked because sometimes that is the algorithm of how they move forward. But because I have such a rare form of my diagnosed form of cancer, they did a world literature search and they kind of got together a few of these specialists and decided we don't have enough information, any research to say, do it or don't do it. And because there was a 20% mortality rate, if you do it, it it's very risky. They said, let's not do it unless you relapse back into cancer again. And I was able to stay in remission and did not ever need that. So wow. I was very fortunate. Have you had any symptoms since that time or, or like negative impact of all that? chemotherapy and radiation? Yeah. You know, minor things. I did get some permanent nerve damage in the, the nerves that are furthest from the body. So that would be in my hands. I can grip, but I can't pinch with my fingers very well. And so I have some weakness. It's really interesting where that is. And in my feet, I have some permanent nerve damage into my calf muscles and into my feet. So I can no longer run or jump anymore, or I'll get pretty significant pain. So it's been a little challenging because I used to be a runner and a basketball player. So okay. it's really challenged and made me think twice about what can I do to be you know, healthy and just find those things that work and avoid the things that do not. If that were me, I'd be like, I'd be like, why? 
God, here I am. You're you're in your early to mid twenties, just married, super healthy, doing everything right, and then all of a sudden you got cancer. How did you reconcile that in your relationship Mm -hmm. with God? How how did you make peace with that? You know, it goes back to let me just share one specific time. After I got my cancer, I was able to leave the hospital, but then through my chemotherapy, at one point my white blood cell count got so low. They had to re-hospitalize me just for fear of infection and what that could do. And so I was in the hospital for about two weeks. They would not let me go home until my white blood cell count would raise up to a certain level. So every morning they would come in and do the blood work and they would say, no, it's not not high enough. Got to stay again, stay again, stay again. So it was like day after day. And they're just kind of treating me and deal with my side effects day after day. And I got to a point, honestly, Rob, where I prayed this prayer that God I can no longer handle this. Either kill me and let me go home with you now or get me better so I can go home because I am now at the point of breaking. And literally that next morning, my white blood count came up and the next day they discharged me back to home. And so what that taught me was how deep my connection with God needs to be that this life ultimately doesn't matter. If it's time to go, it's time to go. But it really connected me with God on a level that never would have happened had I not experienced that. So when I think of like Paul, when he was writing in Corinthians, that he felt the sentence of death, but that required him to rely on God and not himself. It finally really clicked what that might have been like for me. How'd you keep from just getting angry and and, and remaining bitter? I mean, I, I, I certainly, yeah. I'm sure that, I'd be tempted to go in that direction. Just like, Hey, this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, I never felt to, you know, curse God or anything mm-hmm. like that. What really helped was I would say the second day after I got diagnosed in the church, St. Louis, Kurt Simmons was leading the church. He came into my hospital room and he said, Shan, there's two things you need to do every day. No matter what, read your Bible and pray. Just stay close to God. Read your Bible and pray. There were certain days I could maybe read a, a paragraph and I'm just so sick. That's all I could read, but I would just read every day. I just Bible. They, some friends sent me, it was kind of large print so I could read it. <laughs> I read my Bible every day and I prayed every day. And those things I think is what kept me in a centered position with God the most. Let's switch the subject and, and go back to uh, your current work. What, what, gave you the idea, hey, I'm going to start a church while working a day job. Right, yeah. So this goes back to when we were living in El Paso, Texas, my wife and I, Janela, and um, yeah, I grew up here in South Dakota, and at one point we did have a church here, uh, but what I realized as I was looking is we no longer had a church of our fellowship in, in South Dakota, in Sioux Falls, even in North Dakota, in this huge region of our, our world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that, you know, that I probably pulled at me somewhat because I'm from here. So it made me uh, gravitate to that thought more. But my prayer was, God, send somebody else to go there. <laughs> um, I'm a, uh, I'm a, uh, I think I'm a, a big church guy. You know, I feel comfortable in the bigger churches. Mm-hmm. That's where I've grown up. That's where I've done things. I've never thought you know, something small. So I kept praying this prayer for probably three or four years at least. Well, you got to be careful when you pray those prayers because God eventually put on my heart, well, why don't you go 
what is keeping you from going? Um, and so God not only told me, you know, hey, maybe you ought to do this, but he put it into my heart to want to do it. Mm -hmm. So the desire came with that as well. And then so I started talking with Janelle. She felt good about it as well. And that's where the train started to move forward with that process. Okay. So, how, I mean, it's one thing to think about it and go, oh, that'd be really awesome. Like, how did you cross that bridge to actually doing something about it? Sure. So I knew that if we were going to do this, we need to have connections with brothers and sisters in our churches. And that's just how, you know, how the Bible says to do it. And, you know, it's relationships. And so I basically made a few phone calls. I would talk to, um, it was Greg Gretzky at the time up in Omaha and letting him know, hey, what do you think about this idea? Would you really like to go up there and maybe start something? What's your, what's your advice? What's your thoughts? And uh, so he gave me some great advice. I also then started talking with some of the, um, at some point with the brothers in the Midwest uh, family of churches with Chicago and some of them to say, hey, you know, what do you guys think about this? Because I didn't want to go up there just as a lone ranger, kind of a maverick on my own right. and not really feel like I'm connected with everybody. I want to do what was maybe in their plans in case something else had already been planned. And so I, I got advice and Greg Mretzky at the time said, you know what, I'll completely support you. We'll, su we'll support you. If you guys just want to go up there cold turkey, or if you want to come be a part of the church here a little bit closer, build some relationships here for a couple of years, then move up. You could go ahead and do that. So as much as I wanted to just go cold turkey and do this, I was like, you know what, maybe it's wiser to be closer to the church, get some more relationships established uh, geographically before we do that. And we ended up doing that and we're a part of the church there for about uh, four years. And then in continued talks with churches up in uh, the area we live now, I'm talking about like Minneapolis and Des Moines and Eau Claire, Wisconsin, places like that. We kept getting more advice and, and they said, you know, we'll, we totally understand what you want to do. Well, you know, you have our blessings. We don't have any people right now to support your efforts, like a large mission team or whatever, but we'll support you spiritually and with whatever else we can do. And so he said, well, maybe it, there's no reason to stop. Let's just go. What are we waiting for at this point? Let's just see what God can do. It takes a lot of guts. How did you deal with the, the, the naysayers, those that, that urge caution, uh, you know, sure. the people saying, hey, you're going to fall away. You're not going to make it spiritually or, or whatever. I don't know what they told you, but I just, you know, right. I'm sure that it wasn't like universal, like, yeah, great idea. Right. Yeah. You know, I think, I think thankfully nobody said you're going to fall away or anything like that, but uh, you know, I, at least they didn't say it to my face, but uh, you know, I, I think, I think more than anything, it was more like, you know, you guys have a daughter, what kind of relationships is she going to be able to have up there not having other kids and, and, you know, you're not going to have anybody with you right away. You want to wait a couple more years until maybe somebody else wants to go with you. There's always just kind of this, just keep waiting and waiting and waiting, which I think there's wisdom in patience. But I also think at some point, you just got to go yeah. and just let God bless the way. Because there's never, I find, never a perfect time to go anywhere. Right. You know, I think Christianity is an uncomfortable religion. Mm. <laughs> and there's never going to be a perfect golden path. Right. And so I just feel like at some point, Janelle, I'm like, you know, let's, let's go. It's time to go. And let's not worry about all the details we can't control. Let's just see what, what God does. Yeah. I and just, we just took that step. I love that scripture in Ecclesiastes 11 where it says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. <laughs> and right. I think it's so true. I mean, 
at some point you just had to decide we're just going to go for it. How, mm-hmm. how would you describe the feeling that was urging you on to do it? Like, you know, I've tried to explain to people like why I wanted to plant mm-hmm. a church. How would you describe the impulse to go? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have been in a lot of our churches and seeing great things happen. And what I learned about myself was it's very comfortable or to just want to kind of fit in the big church and, and do things there. And don't get me wrong, there's many great ministries we need to keep doing and, and doing things in the, these larger churches. But I couldn't take my eyes and mind off these vast areas of our country, although they're less populous, but there's these vast areas where there's still nobody going to. And I was like, well, at some point, we got to get to these spots. And I don't have all the answers of how that's going to work out, but there's souls all over our world in these rural areas. Mm. And so having seen our church be um, grown from, you know, places like the Boston and, and, and London and all these great metro areas has been fantastic. But we have to now move to the saturate the rest of our world. I look at Jesus going from village to village. It wasn't just metro to metro. And I just appreciate his heart for every place he went, even if it was a small village. Riding through South Dakota was awesome. And yeah. one of the thoughts that kept coming to my mind as I, you know, I started into uh, to San Diego and went through New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and then I had to go through the motorcycle mecca of South Dakota. That is like the, you know, yeah. The Holy Land for motorcyclists, Sturgis, the big motorcycle rally, and then Wall Drug had to stop there. And just crossing, I just go, it's it's a beautiful area. And Sioux Falls mm-hmm. is a beautiful city. And I just, I remember just going, telling myself I could live here. You know, I was just thinking, maybe maybe <laughs> God's calling. I, de- I literally thought that, God, this is an amazing place. Mm-hmm. But I think with COVID and the rise in technology, of course, Zoom and, and the the connection, ease of connection. Mm-hmm. I know that there are many, many people who are thinking, hey, maybe I should go to New Mexico or I should go to Teos or you know, New Mexico, or I should go to someplace, my hometown, and start a church. Mm-hmm. If a person is thinking that, and I think I, I think personally. I think that's the wave of the future. I think what you're doing is absolutely on the cutting edge of God's plan for evangelizing the U.S. and the world. What does a person need to know if they're just kind of bouncing the idea in their mind? Sure, sure. Well, I, I think first of all, it's you know it needs to be spent time in prayer, just really making sure that you know this is something that that's on your heart that you know you're talking to God about. And just spend some time. Don't make that decision in one night. But at the same time, don't wait 10 years. Right. And so I think just have that prayer. You got to be close to God. Have a close relationship with God, first and foremost. I know that sounds almost like simplistic, but it's so true. Right. Secondly, I would say count the cost. You know, are, are you willing to step out and do something that might seem very uncomfortable? And it's going to really require you to stretch your faith. Uh, another big thing for me was, don't be afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, going up there with just my wife and I and our daughter, there were so many times I said, man, this could just fail. But I think realize that we never fail if we do something for God. It's never a failure because instead of looking at the end results, we have to realize just go. I think so often God just wanted us to go. Right. 
And I think also just make sure you're connected with our church because there's so many people that want to help you, want to connect with you, want to stay related with you. Um, I had the Upper Midwest Brothers uh, for so often to just have that encouragement, that inspiration with as well, and that that brother-to-brother connection. So you're really, like you mentioned, even though we have COVID, we have technology that can keep us connected even when we're hundreds of miles away from each other. Right. And I think also because of COVID, if people haven't yet learned this, we're now learning the ability to fellowship and connect and even have worship through Zoom platforms and, and Facebook and these other areas. I think we can use these technologies to now let distance be such a, a, a game changer in the wrong way. Right. We have people in our church that literally live over two hours away right. in other rural areas, but we've been able to have Zoom when we need to. We can meet physically when we can. But of course, living up here in South Dakota, we get some inclement weather in the winter with blizzards and things like that. But because of of technology, we can still worship and connect and have those times to supplement when we can't get together physically. I think that the COVID has really taught us all over the world how we can start operating like this when we need to. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you look back on the past four years, what's some of the most satisfying What's the most satisfying part of what you've been doing? Yeah, I think the most satisfying has just been honestly watching God work. You know, we came in as just the two of us on Sunday. I just preached to my wife and we sing songs and and just have this faith that God, you're just going to have to start something here because it's just the two of us. And we had a couple move in from Honduras. We had a couple move from South Carolina. We were able to basically have a little church then with children and adults and other people have moved and different things have happened and so as much as we would like to say we figured this out and we got such and such going it's just been god working and we just we're amazed because i never would have written the script so far of where we're at from where we started and so i think it's just been fun to watch god work because we're like hey god you, you know we don't have what we need you're the one that's going to have to to bless right. this effort so you started with two now you're at 11 adults and 10 kids, is that right? Yeah, so we have uh, we have 11 adult disciples and one teen disciple. Okay. And then we have nine children besides that. Oh, my gosh. So you're over 20. You started with two. Mm-hmm. Ten times what you started with four years ago. Yeah. Pretty awesome. That must give you a great sense of, of pride and satisfaction. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's been great, you know, and um, we're so happy with what we've been able to see God do here. And um at the same time, we don't want to rest on our laurels. Yeah. You know, we want to see, okay, God, what can we continue to do? How do where how do we take this now to the the future? Right. What's been the most challenging part of it? Like what's what's the dirty little secret of what you've done here that people need to know about that was really has been really tough for you? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things. You know, as you mentioned, I do work full time as a physical therapist. That's my full time job. So doing that and trying to help start a church, you know, that can be very challenging because, you know, you give so much of your efforts and energy to your, your job. And then to have left, I hate to use the word leftover, have left energy, then then to pour that into the church and, you know, put together sermons and doing things like that. It just takes time. And I think sometimes time is the biggest factor that I've had to realize, God, you're just going to have to bless the little time I have. And not to compare myself to people who are full-time paid ministry. And I think the other challenge is when you start at just two of you or a small group, you know, 
you can be tempted to feel small and, and you can be tempted to look at the big churches and to, to like think, oh, I wish I had this or I wish we had this and, and to think those thoughts. Or if you don't see immediate results, you know, your church stays small for a while. It can be, you know, the temptation it can be to be discouraged. Mm -hmm. Like, God, when are you going to do the next thing? Mm -hmm. What are we, what's going on here? Or second guess, should I have moved here? Yeah, right. And those thoughts, I think Satan likes to just throw all these doubts but I think just praying through those things consistently and just being aware and then just making sure we have, you have relationships outside of, you know, just right here with all our other brothers and sisters has helped center me during those times. When we planted the church in Ashland, I remember it was, it was months before we had our first baptism. I think we moved there in August and we officially started in Feb the following February, and we didn't have a baptism until June. And I'll tell you, we had some big celebrating when that happened. It takes, it does take time, but it, it caused me to just be desperate in my prayer and, and to ask God to also send people to move in. I remember when people moved in. But I think the, the, the desperation, the kind of vulnerable position that God puts you in when you're a church planter, self-supporting is it was so good for me spiritually. It really mm -hmm. helped me. I, I'm sure that, um, you know, I can connect with, with what you're saying there. You've got to be patient, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think it really refines your motives along the way. You know, why are you doing this? Because you're not getting the support of being in a big church. You're not getting the support of whatever it may be that you felt in a more comfortable situation. But then realizing, well, then where should my comforts be coming from? I think it just really refines where you're at with God and why you do what you do in the first place. Right. Well, you've, you've got a happy marriage. You've got a great family. And now you've got a church going. I, I'm sure that people listening are going, man, how do you keep from getting burned out? How do you, <laughs> I mean, that you're, you're, you're kind of, you work all week. And then all of a sudden you're working on Sundays too. And then maybe mm -hmm. on Saturday you're, you're working, preparing for Sunday. So how do you keep fresh spiritually? You know, I think that's a week by week thing, probably. Because, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, burnout can be a big thing. You know, I, there's many times I felt, man, I feel burnt out. I feel challenged. I feel like, like I just want to take a nap type of thing. And I, I think that's good for me to recognize those things and, and verbalize that to God and even to Janella at times. But I think then to pray about that, you know, to go back and get my refreshment from, from God. And I think besides that, it's keeping a balanced life. You know, I, I like to um, not just work, but I like to exercise. I think that helps a lot. Get try to get my sleep, try to have a good balance with my family, with my wife and daughter, and have those things as well. So just to find a way to keep that balance as, as best I can. I think lastly for myself is not to put too much pressure on myself for what I, I feel like I need to do or I need to produce. And say, right. you know what, I'm just gonna leave this in God's hands. Right. That, you know, ultimately this is God's church anyway. Mm. I'm just a servant here. And I just have prayed many times, God, you're just going to have to figure this out. This is your church and I'll do what I can, but you obviously know my limitations. Okay. So I think things like that has really helped keep me in perspective when that feeling of burnout <laughs> rears its ugly head. For those listening in different places around the world, like, can you, where is Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Can you just kind of give, and, and what is the city like in the area? Can you get sure. just a, a short so, description? Sioux Falls is in the center of the universe. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's here in South Dakota. So if you're obviously from the United States, you know where South Dakota is. If you're not, it's kind of the north, 
uh, central part of the United States. Uh, it's in what's the Great Plains. And by plains, I mean, it can be very flat, very plain. There's no mountains here. There's no um, ocean here. There's nothing super amazing other than we have a few rolling hills. So geographically, it's not the most maybe attractive place if you're looking for outside of church things. But the city itself is growing. Uh, every year, it, it keeps growing and growing. The, the industries for business are amazing. The medical profession here keeps growing. It's a regional hub for medical things. Uh, yeah, it's a great place. A lot of people, young people are coming here to start businesses. Um, older people like retiring here. It's a very family-oriented city, I would say. It's also becoming more international as we have more people moving from various countries to uh, live here as well. So we're getting more international, which is great. The city and the surrounding small towns around here, uh, give or take about 260,000 people at this point. Uh, but you know, the temperature during the fall, and the spring and the summer is fantastic. The winters are a little brutal, but that is for what it is in this part of the country. <laughs> um, but the, I, the city's great. You know, the crime rate's pretty low. There's no state income tax for those of you guys into that. But uh, yeah, we love the city. Nice, nice. And how old are you, Shannon? I'm 47. Okay, 47. You're right in the middle of your prime. You're just peeking out. That's <laughs> awesome. You. That's great. Now, what's your plan for the future? Yeah, so here with the church, our, well, for me personally, is to continue my, my profession. At one point, I thought about the idea of, well, am I an evangelist or, or what is my role? And so for years, I thought, well, maybe I'm an evangelist. But the more I've thought and, and prayed, I don't see myself as the typical evangelist role. But I love preaching. I love teaching. I love supplementing things. And I love that role. So our goal in the church here is partly due to the fact that myself and Janelle only have so much time. And as you know, if you're in your church, the more time you can give to various ministries and doing things, the better. We realize our time limitations. And I also realize my 47 years of age. And so our hope is to hire somebody, maybe a single person, most likely of some sort, for either like a one-year challenge or to become an intern to come here and just go for it to just go out there and help evangelize, help meet some of the needs uh, with time that we can't do because of our jobs, and to hopefully even just get some education on from an older brother here that can help them out and just move the church forward. I think we have, we have a, a bunch of married couples and everybody's working and, and, and busy, but we can have a few young people come. I think that'd be incredible. So I would say to anybody that would be out there, you know, if they're thinking about a place to go, whether it be for a year or to just test the waters, uh, we would love to have somebody come out here and join us mm -hmm. in this adventure out here. That was a turning point in in our church planting in, in Southern Oregon, Ashland, Oregon. I was busy with real estate and trying to keep my head above water financially during the financial crisis, but we mm -hmm. saved the money and hired an intern to come down, Chris Schwarzenberger. And boy, that was, he just totally just made such a huge difference because there I was to kind of anchor the church, but then you had a young guy reaching out on campus and around the town and the church yeah. really started to grow at that point. So you've got the money and you've got the, you know, you've got the foundation built. So it's a great, great opportunity for anyone. So I'm, I'm certainly, I know we talked about this when I rode through in last month in July, 
but I'm praying and that someone is going to be there by the end of the end of the year. Uh, it's such incredible training. So I'll, I'll be praying about that. I think you're, you're on the, the verge of really breaking through there, Shannon. Yeah, I mean, fantastic. So I would say if anybody is interested or just want has questions even, they can just check out our church website. You can either find it on Disciples Today using the church locator, or our website is just uh, www.greatplainschurchofchrist.org, and all of our contact information, my information, is all up on there as well. Okay, so greatplainschurchofchrist.org. That's where yes. you can be found. Okay. Like, when you look back, and if you had to do this over again, would you? Yes. Do you have any thoughts like, ooh, that, you know, maybe we took a, a <laughs> maybe we took a left when we should have taken a right. Do you have any thoughts like that? No, ultimately, I still think we would have come here to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no doubts about that. Would I've changed maybe a, a couple things? I don't know. I probably, but nothing I can think of specifically. But I still would have come one hundred percent. Yeah, no doubts with that. Mm-hmm. For those who are like excited, but also fearful, any final words you'd give them? Yeah, you know, in, in, in my thoughts, this is my opinion, but I think there's a lot of people in our churches that would do great in a situation like this, mm-hmm. going on some form of a mission team or going to help a small church like this, or even maybe they want to be plant something as well. I think there are some people that, that this is not for them, right. but I think there's a large amount of people that are out there that this would be great and I think not to remember what the Bible says that we live by faith and faith requires us to do things that maybe we're not comfortable with, or we right. don't feel equipped to right. do. But I think the beauty of that is you really get to learn what it means to rely on God mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And when I read my Bible, I see what they were doing in the book of Acts and how they were doing things. I'm like, nobody would have gone on a mission team back, back then with Paul if they did not go on faith. Right. You know, just the way that things were run. It was just, man, it was all about the faith and letting God move in the spirit, just do what he did. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the book of Acts because that that inspires me how when the church was scattered in connection with Stephen's persecution, mm-hmm. that was really the impetus for, for the growth of the kingdom. It was all those people, you, you don't know their names, and yet they'd go back to the countries that they came to when they came yeah. to, to celebrate Pentecost they went back and started churches just like you're doing. And yeah. I, I think, I really believe deeply that that is where we're at in the movement, that that's the future of if we're going to continue to call ourselves a movement and actually move, we've got to move mm-hmm. in the direction of the small church, exactly what you're doing. And in fact, there's a guy in my church right now, a couple, great couple, been disciples a long time. And they work full-time jobs, but they are getting transferred to um, Idaho Falls, Idaho. And it's kind yeah. of kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but beautiful area. And I'm just pumped for him because I go, okay, this, this is his chance. He's got the experience. There's so many disciples that have, like you, have had intern experience or Bible talk leadership experience. Mm-hmm. They've forgotten more than most people ever know. And and yet it's it's going it's lying fallow. It's not being used in a, in a larger yeah. situation. And I go, man, if we could just turn that energy loose and we, we could win the world. Absolutely. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think 100%. You know, people going to Idaho Falls or whatever area you're thinking of going that, you know, there's so many reasons why you should go. Yeah. And there's so few that you should. And I think there's people in your church that know you and, and can help you if there's something that really you need to work on. But I think the majority of people, we're ready. You know, God's ready. He, he wants to use us. And and it's never going to be a perfect transition. Yeah. You know, you're going to mess up. You're going to have errors. But who doesn't? But I think as long as we're relying on God and working together, we're an international family. Yeah. You know, we're a church worldwide. And you will always have the support of your brothers and sisters, whether they, they're, you know, down the block or they're, you know, down the state. Yeah. That we can have that connection with each other. And I think living in a world that's so already connected with, you know, travel and all these things, it makes it so much easier with the internet that we can connect that you're not really going away right. as far as you thought you were. Exactly. You know, I'm inspired by Paul. Those guys, they had no internet. They right. had no airplanes. <laughs> you know, it was much rougher to get around. And yet if they could do it, how much more can we do in our modern advanced world? I totally agree. What advice would you give for the person who wants to make this life count? My advice to make this life count is just at the end of the day, you want to be able to tell God, God, I gave you my best. Mm, yeah. You're not worried about where the chips fell at the end of the day. You just gave God your best. You know, I look at somebody like you mentioned, Stephen, you know, Stephen gave his best and his life was short and he died. Then you have somebody else who lived a long life and their life counted as well. But they both people just gave their best. I think at the end of the day, we don't have to worry about get too swept up in the details, right. too swept up in you know, how big our churches are, or what kind of ministries you're going to have. Right. Just get swept up. I just want to make sure I'm doing my best for God, giving right. my best. And for some of us, that means we need to go to these places. Mm -hmm. We need to be willing to go on an adventure. And I would say, don't be afraid if it doesn't work out. Right. Who says you're supposed to go only if it's 100% proven that you're going to be victorious? <laughs> I mean, how many times was Paul unvictorious in a physical sense? Was kicked out of town or stoned or whatever happened. Right. But he just kept kept moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, when we planted that, that church, it, I just went with me and my wife and, and my kids because I thought if I fail, I don't want to be responsible for anybody else. I mean, <laughs> looking back, I wish I had brought more people, but at the same time, where I was at then, I was like, this could not, this could fail. That's definitely a possibility. I may have to just pack it up and move back to a larger church. But I agree with you. I go, who cares if you fail? You tried, you right. did your best and just that's, yeah. that's no I mean, way, no way to live in, in a fear of failure. Yeah. I mean, you could say Jesus failed when he went back to Nazareth. Right. Because the faith of the people was not there, but I would never say, Hey, Jesus, you failed. Up there. <laughs> he kept moving. Exactly. And he kept doing what he needed to do. And I think going someplace, even if it doesn't work out and you end up going back to your home church, that is a major victory for God because he sees what you're doing. I agree. I agree. We met at the 2019 Look Up Small Church Leadership Conference. We've got another, we've got part two of that coming up in Dallas in December 2nd through 5th of this year. Uh, can you just share what you got out of that conference? I know this is a, a shameless plug for this conference, but <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and hit that button. What what did you get out of it? And, and you know, are you right. planning on going to the conference this, this, this December? Sure. You know, I think going to Eau Claire for the small church conference was fantastic on many levels. I think 
the main level was seeing other people that were trying to do the exact same thing as yourself. Well, maybe not perfectly exactly, but they understood what it means to be in a small church, all the victories that come with that, all the challenges that right. come with that. Right. And just to have that fellowship that's much more specific than in the, the larger sense of our church was just incredible. Just to hear people like yourself, Rob, and different people share their own personal examples of what happened when they did that. It just really builds your faith and your encouragement that, yeah, you are not alone if you want to do something like this. And I think that was just really inspiring. I left there just feeling like, yeah, this is, this is good. Yeah, I'm definitely not alone. And there's a lot of people that, that have come before me and a lot of people that want to do this as well. I think it also helps you to build relationships with people that are currently doing the same thing. And as for going to Dallas, I want to, I want to go 100%. The only thing that will keep me is if I don't get enough vacation time. Mm, that's great. <laughs> if I have the vacation time, I'm going there for sure because it was so um, important to me uh, going there last time. Yeah. So I think what Rob is, is organizing here, if you're listening to this and you can go or you're not sure, then go, please go. Yeah, I, I, it surprised me because I knew that the classes were gonna be good, but I think the greater power was the, the encouragement for those who attended, just feeling like, hey, I'm in a place where people get me. They understand the unique challenges of small church leadership or, or small ministry leadership, even if they're in a larger church. And, and just making friends who are in a similar spot. It's, it's rare, especially in a small ministry. As you know, you're not around other people. Like, I mean, you're, you're separated in your situation by hundreds of miles. And so being in that like 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours of uh, an encouragement bubble, it's, it's massive. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to be praying that you can get to Dallas, and I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Rob. Super appreciate it. And I want to just, again, please ask you to come to the 2021 CLIMB Conference. If you're leading in a small church or a small ministry or a small group, or you want to do missionary work in the future, or you're thinking, hey, I'd like to be a missionary. Maybe I want to go to Sioux Falls. You don't want to miss this event. And this is how you're going to benefit directly. First of all, inspirational speakers. We've got Mufid, Tomei, planning on coming out from Lebanon, and they're doing amazing work there. We've got uh, different people who are going to be speaking, doing classes, practical instruction. Each day has a theme to help you and your ministry grow. Every class is going to give you tools to revive your spirit and grow your ministry. So the materials are specifically focused to help you and your ministry both. And then, for, for example, the Friday program is dedicated to helping you to revive, to refresh, and restore the joy of your salvation. And so Joel Pete is customizing a program to make 2022 your best year ever spiritually. And then not only personal growth, but ministry growth and planning. The Saturday program will help you to come up with a complete plan, program, and curriculum for your ministry in 2022. So you'll leave the conference with confidence that you have in your hands the material and the support you need to make 2022 your ministry's best year so far. And then just finally, like what I shared earlier, massive encouragement. You'll spend three days together with disciples who are climbing the same mountain you are. You'll make friends, you'll laugh, and you're going to learn every single day. So they, again, that's December 2nd through, 2nd through 5th in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it'll be at the Marriott, $109 a night. Please sign up. It's $150 per person. It's well worth it. 
And you can go to robskinner.com and look for the Climb Conference tab and please register today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button, let your friends know about it and how to find it because my goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count and to multiply disciples, leaders and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.